I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hello, hello, everyone. This is Kathy Hackle, your host for Tech Magic, the podcast where we talk about all that is happening in technology, from gaming to fashion tech to avatars to AI drama <laughs> and everything in between. Uh, I am thrilled to be joined again by my guest co-host, Lee Keebler. Lee, how you doing? How was your uh, your long Thanksgiving break? Oh, I I think I'm with every like I mean that was a that guttural uh was very <laughs> real. I I'm I'm gonna be full until I think Christmas. I, I it, until it the was, next big meal. Yeah, it's 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 turned into this holiday where it's like you have your Thanksgiving, but then all of your friends want to have friendsgivings, and it just mm-hmm. keeps going. Yep. I I gotta get, I gotta lose some friends. Um, <laughs> just, it's just too much. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love that though. That's great. And did you stay in Portland? We did. We did. We, uh, and it's, uh, it's been an amazing, normally this time of year, like the weather is crap. Like that, mm-hmm. that part of the whole, it only rains in the Northwest is, is kind of true during no- November, <laughs> but, uh, it's been awesome. We actually went camping and we wow. went, and did, we went That's to see great weather then. Yeah. It's been fantastic. Yeah. It's been wonderful. Yeah. It's awesome. Well, our weather was not as great in the DC area. It was still a little cold. A couple of days were nice. Um, we had a really good time, really great time hanging out with the kids, did tons of activities. We were so busy. Like it's not even funny. Um, yeah. and I'll share some of the stuff that we're, that, that we did this weekend because it was super fun and it relates to one of the stories we're going to be talking about. Um, but I will say one of the things, um, I noticed, uh, on, on the socials, um, this week was, Kim Kardashian doing um, a, you know, dancing to Crank That from Soulja Boy with her daughter, Northwest. Um, so you then mean the like, Superman song? <laughs> the Superman song that my daughter corrected <laughs> me on. So I started playing the song and then I told my daughter, I was like, hey, my 13-year-old teenager, right? Hey, look what Kim Kardashian's doing. Maybe you and I should dance on TikTok. And she was like, mom, that is like the worst punishment you could give any kid right now is like i'm gonna dance on tiktok so uh for all the parents out there if you have a 13 year old or you know teenager that gets in trouble you should just say you know keep you know keep doing what you're doing and i'll start dancing on tiktok and follow all your friends so yeah that's uh, that's something it's funny amazing that it's amazing how like those punishments have changed over mm-hmm. over the years yeah 
because there was a time where it's just like I didn't want my family on social media. Now everyone's on it, and it's just the thing. But yeah, it was just please don't comment on my wall. No, I'm not no, gonna. No, no, I'm not gonna put my aunt in the top eight of my MySpace page. <laughs> That's just not gonna happen. This is don't. Yeah, it's like stop tagging me in that photo dump of you know all these pictures from Auntie So and So. Oh my gosh! But you know what? So when I was growing up, and you might have had the same thing. So we still had landlines. Right. So you mm. still had to talk like you were you would oh, yeah. have to be sitting down somewhere. You might have been on the bed, but you were like plugged into the wall. And yeah. I remember it was like, you know, we'll take your line away. Like if you misbehaved or, you know, you're you know, you're getting. Punished. Oh, you had a line. Um, I didn't have a line. My parents were public school teachers. We didn't have line money. Like, no, we had one line and that was it. That was for Internet, everything. Internet, That's everything. Lines. That yeah, was it. Well, <laughs> you, at some point you upgrade to getting your own line. Right. <laughs> but it's, We'll take your line away. It's like, oh, my gosh. It's like you're. Your connection to the world, right? So, so yeah, like I think about my kids now because my daughter, finally, she she went from the flip phone and she got an actual iPhone um, just this week. So, we're, we're navigating that. I, I gave her a contract. This is crazy. Like, I wrote, That's I'm a big serious. Step. I'm serious on this stuff. So, like, I wrote this whole contract. I had her read it. I said, you know, okay, laid it, laid it all out. These are the rules of, the, of engagement. This is what you got to follow. <laughs> and then literally when she was reading them, she was like, Mom, I don't think I want the phone anymore. <laughs> like, so you you can use the Note app and you can. <laughs> <laughs> Weather, clock, alarm. Um, but yeah, she was so funny. She was like, and then my my son who was right next to us, he was like, make sure you read the fine print. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was like, now, whoa, Colin. I mean, goodness. That does remind me. I did do one thing with my phone over weekend that I thought was interesting and I think fits into the show. Mm. And I, so for many people, iOS 17 rolled out to their phones. And so I upgrade, I upgraded to iOS 17. And then I spent some time playing with the personal voice, um, the voice print. Very interesting. I don't fully understand their, their use case because I can't do things with it that I want to do. Like, get rid of the Siri voice and replace it with my voice print. Like you can't do that yet. But as I talked with a few other people, I actually talked about this with my wife is like, cause she's understands tech in a way that I don't coming from her marketing background. And she sees things that I don't always get in like my, my LinkedIn feed. Before you she, keep going, I do want everyone to know that I think Lee's, Lee's wife is so much cooler than Lee. Like, <laughs> oh, I, she is she's my favorite between you. Yeah, I'm going to be, I'm like, there's no, you know, I'm not partial. Like literally she's my favorite. So anyway, I just want the record to show. <laughs> yeah. And she yeah. thinks about this stuff completely differently. She kind of is able to see it in a, in a different light. And, and she pointed out like, no, this is really important for people who, cause it takes 15 minutes to do your voice print. It's like a lot yeah. of reading. It's, it's not an insignificant amount of reading. Um, but she's like, yeah, but people are using this to bank their voice if they're losing access to their voice. And she brought in like a lot of key yeah. things with like people who were been diagnosed with like ALS and things like that, which had never crossed my mind. Um, so it's it's very interesting to see Apple dipping their toe into that very specific use case of, of AI. Um, so if you haven't tried it, it's worth playing with. It's kind of interesting to hear your your voice read things back to you that is not you. It's, it's cool mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah, I'll definitely have to do that. I didn't get a chance to do it, but I do know Siri is due for like an upgrade. They someone Siri has been up due for an upgrade. So, yeah, she's had an upgrade. <laughs> yeah, she's needed an upgrade for quite a while. Uh, but yeah, I do believe they're working do. on Siri X or something. Way, <laughs> oh, sorry. Siri. You don't need to say Siri before you ask it. 
Okay. He's listening. Down. Sorry, Siri. No, you know, AI, please don't kill me <laughs> in my sleep. I promise I'm good. Oh my goodness, you're listening. But uh, yeah, yeah. So good, good stuff. I'll tell you a couple of really fun things. We were really busy with kid activities the whole time. Um, we we went to the movies because I'm a big movie person. If anyone listening to this podcast already knows that, <laughs> like I'm going there all the time. I still go to the movies. I enjoy it. Um, we went to see the new Disney movie, Wish. Mm. Theater was almost empty, which is not usual for mm. a a Disney movie. Um, my youngest one really liked it. My two other kids were like, "Ugh, this was not our favorite." So that was really interesting. Um, they they thought it, there was too much singing, <laughs> which was interesting as well. And I think it didn't do that great in the box office. So yeah, we'll have to see. So we went to the movies. Uh, I also took my younger kids to the Kennedy Center, the Performing Arts Kennedy Center here in DC, for a live performance with these puppets for Bluey. So Bluey is oh, this show on yeah. Disney. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Bluey I don't even have kids. I know who Bluey is. You know Bluey is. Bluey is like, yeah, cha-ching, Bluey. Yeah. Disney you got a pulse, Bluey's you know. Yeah. <laughs> so that was super fun. And it was live entertainment with all these puppets. And I, it was just beautiful. I have to tell you, like, because I went there like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be so Is there boring. still like, if, so your kids, are they still engaged by basically a puppet show, a live puppet show in the modern day of like wondering tech, wondrous technology? Is that still a thing? It was like, beautiful. I but, was engaged. I mean, I was totally into this. I was laughing, smiling, playing along with all the stuff, like all the little games that they had um, and activities. My kids and my older, like I brought my son and then my mm. youngest and a little friend. And they were all super engaged. I mean, every kid, all the parents, most of the parents, I'd say, and every kid in that room was having a blast. It, it was see, super that's fun. my theory. Everyone thinks that everyone's attention spans gotten shorter, and I think it's just like, no, we just need better entertainment. Like, yeah. just just effort does count for something. I think a lot of times. Well, it was beautiful to see the puppetry arts, like yeah, in, on stage. Like it had been a long time since I've seen like puppets that are, that were really cool and not scary. <laughs> <laughs> right yeah so that was beautiful i mean the kids there were a part there was a part where they come out with all these like birds and they're flying and i don't know i mean i i had a blast they had a blast we we really you know we really enjoyed it even my 11 year old when i took him he was like i don't know if i'm gonna like this mom this seems like it's for little kids and he actually enjoyed himself so you That's know awesome live entertainment that was great uh, another really cool thing we did, and this is going to lead us to our first story. <laughs> um, we went to the Lego um, Discovery Center in DC that just opened. It says Lego DC, but it's 12 miles from DC. So you're like, mm, it's not really in DC. It's in Springfield, Virginia, but it's okay. It's okay. Uh, we had a really good time. I mean, my, especially my son, he's really into the architecture sets. There was a master builder guy there. They got to talk. Uh, he's looking at all the sets that he wants for Christmas and everything. And then when we're coming out, um, you know, they obviously the exit is through the store because <laughs> they exit through the gift shop every go. time. Exactly. <laughs> they get you there. So he's working on his Christmas list, all the stuff he wants and taking pictures. And then there's this wall where the kids can, you know, put Legos up. And for some reason, someone had written, you know, but with the little you know, Lego pieces wrote Fortnite. I was like, oh, interesting. I took a photo for some reason. Right. And then uh, just yesterday, was it? I can't remember. Uh, yesterday yeah, or the it was day like before, yesterday. Yeah. I sent you that uh, screenshot of Lego uh, posting, you know, they're teasing. They're teasing something with Fortnite because they um, they uh, they had an, an, an image of the llama. And, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so everyone's ex like speculating like, 
what's going on. So I was like, hmm, does someone at this Lego store or someone that came through know something we don't? Who knows? Maybe someone just really liked Fortnite and wrote it there. Um, and they probably don't even know what's happening, but there's a lot of rumors in the rumor mill in the gaming world about Fortnite times Lego, Lego and Fortnite partnership kind of coming to fruition in the next couple of days, maybe? It so, seems It seems like it. It doesn't seem just like fortuitous. It seems like this has been a while planned um, and, and everything points towards building blocks. Uh, so it looks like they're building something, um, which is kind of just amazing because you've got Roblox and, you know, they got some back and forth beef with Lego and Legos, you know, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go to Fortnite and I'm just, I'm just here to watch it. And then you just got Minecraft sitting in the background. Like, yeah, we, we're doing all of it with none of y'all. So. Minecraft's just eating popcorn. Yeah. They're yeah. just like, okay. Um, I don't know. So I don't know if there's any beef between any of these people. I, what I do know is like, obviously Lego and Fortnite had announced they're working together a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, all those sorts of things. So that shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone. But I, obviously, we don't know, right? We really don't know what's going to happen. Um, no. Some people say December 7th. We'll have to see. Be curious some, as some to why they have, where that number has come from. Like, that's a very specific date, and I haven't <laughs> seen too much pointing to that. But I did see it. Like, yeah, that does yeah. seem to be the date. I don't know where that leak came from, but... <laughs> Okay, let's wait and see, I guess. Well, and, and there's some there's some gamers, uh, some Fortnite players are talking about it being a completely whole new game. So we'll have to oh we'll have to see. God. I mean, I'm excited. I'm excited. I think anything Fortnite and Lego is just makes sense. They're both building like for they're for builders. Yeah. So I just love yeah, yeah. that. I love that combination. Yeah, and Lego is the is the original user generated content, right? Here's just a bunch of pieces go build. <laughs> and if there's any Lego sets that are Fortnite Lego sets, I mean that would be amazing. I think that would be. Fantastic. Oh yeah, but who knows? There has to there has to be. Yeah, there has um, to be. I, I I sent you something also related to Fortnite and Fortnite Creative, right? So not yes. the battle royale side, more the user generated content side. About uh, an interview that I saw on LinkedIn from Navik, Navik, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, with a uh, company called Creator Corp that works on Fortnite creative games. And, you know, of course, you you and I, both our, our teams, uh, have experimented, you know, with Fortnite creative, with work yeah. around creating things in Fortnite um, for brands and companies. We're, we're working on a really cool build right now, so I'm excited about that. But th- there was something that in the interview... And the reason I'm sharing it is that this Creative Corp group that uh, does builds mentioned that surprisingly, uh, their team found that the most important thing driving discovery is not the quality of the game, but rather the conversion rate of the thumbnail icon on the Fortnite discovery page. That kind of like that piece of information, it's what they found. It's their data, right? I don't don't know if it's true or not, like, uh, but I thought that was really interesting because that's that puts no, a lot of weight sense. on a thumbnail. It, it does. So, I mean, I obviously I can't confirm that that's the case, but if you're looking at like how a brand would monetize any of this type of thing, uh, the time spent playing is often a piece of data that doesn't get registered as highly as a value as unique 
you know, uh, interactions or unique visits. And so you can see games that tout millions and millions and millions and millions of visits. But the second that you start digging deeper into that data, if that data is even ever made available publicly and you see really low player engagement of time spent in game, that leads to a lot of logical questions of, well, where's that engagement happening? And a lot of times that can just be, did did you get the click, right? Um, which is basically the same issue that a lot of advertisement has online in general. It's like, if if you build a website and it's covered in ads and I accidentally click something that I didn't know was an ad because I thought it was going to lead to something different and it opens it up and I immediately close it. Was that ad effective? I would say no, but are they going to bill for it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, that's, that's kind of, I think very similar to what we're seeing in, in this particular space of like, depending on how, a lot of these uh, financial agreements are, are written between brands or even with with Epic themselves. I don't know. Um, you know, if it's based on click-throughs, well, then that's where you're going to focus it. it yeah. You can see this on a lot of platforms where you see people try to build really crappy worlds. Like they're basically cardboard cutout stands, but they rip off popular worlds yeah or popular maps or mm -hmm. yeah yeah just just in the thumbnails themselves and sometimes it's just trolling and kids being weird and goofy because that's what kids do um and sometimes (laughs) you just kind of wonder well what's what are they what's really going on here and i don't have i'm not pretending i have an answer and i'm just this is how i've seen the industry roll out in the last i just thought that piece of data if if true right it's very interesting piece of information right and I think you're going to see, in my perspective, my suspicion is that in 2024, you're going to see even a bigger push from Fortnite uh, for people to, you know, use Fortnite creative and create more and more user-generated content. I don't think that's a surprise to anyone, right? But I I do think it's probably going to happen in in 2024, so. Yeah, and I'd like to see, like, more user tools available to be able to expand even further. And they've done a great job with with implementing, you know, Unreal into the engine. That just to me that actually took longer than it should have um but i'm I'm glad that it's it's finally here uh, because those are where you start getting into real building tools you there's still platforms out there like like vr chat that have infinite creativity because it's just like build whatever you want in the engine and build it i want to see there really come about something like that for for unreal um which which would be a lot of fun so uh, staying on the Fortnite train, <laughs> uh, I also, I shared this news with you that I saw that uh, Fortnite's actually launching um, a pair a pair of glasses with Oakley. Uh, I think there's two styles. I'm not sure. Did I share that with you? Did I send that to you? No, I didn't see oh, this. Oh, okay. So, so this is news. <laughs> yeah, they're launching, I think it's two styles with Oakley. And I mean, super fun th- that they're launching, you know, fashion. Like, and Oakley someone came that- back out of nowhere. <laughs> that that brand just like I don't know what they did, but they were nowhere, and then they came back hard. Mm. I've seen them everywhere lately. I mean, good on them. Maybe that's... TikTok. Have you been checking if it's really hot on TikTok? Because I feel like that's where all the signs I've are pointing. Never, I've never been on TikTok ever. Like you've never. Ever. I've wow. never. I mean, I I'm not have... like a super active user, but I have no. a TikTok account, and I'll go there sometimes. Like, I, I, yeah, I'm not like 
on it all the time, but you've never actually been. That's interesting. Wow. Okay. And I, I, I don't know if I just like hit the some like age bracket where I've just turned into grumpy old man who's like, ah, that, that's for them kids. I don't, I don't need to go on the ticket talk. It's, it's not for me. Like, I don't know. Um, but it's, it's just not ever appealed to me. I, 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 I just couldn't, I can't, I, don't, so I mean, I'm barely, I technically have an Instagram, but I don't take, like, it's just not my thing. I, it's, I don't know. I probably well, need to, I probably should do more with my Instagram. I just, I just don't. Um, <laughs> well, I think once I you know. have your novel, you're going to definitely, you know. That's you what know, everyone keeps telling me. Deal. They're like, like book talk's yeah, a big deal. <laughs> I, I know. Well, you can always hire someone to do it. Like, right. It doesn't have to be you. Yeah. That's, that's, that's good. <laughs> it could be I, yeah. a young Gen Z alpha kid who does it for yeah. you. So. Yeah. <laughs> One of your kids looking for a summertime, like online job. There you just- go. <laughs> Oh my gosh. But um speaking about uh speaking a little bit about TikTok, um, I was reading and I shared this with you as well yes. that ByteDance is I mean, major layoffs in their gaming. Uh, ByteDance is they're just facing it right now. Um and I don't really know what is gonna come because we even seen stuff from their hardware division, like the Pico headsets have had a hard year. And I don't know if they pull through or not. The, the jury's still out. We don't know. Let me be very clear. That's not a dig at Pico. I think they make amazing hardware. They've had issue after issue just because of like foreign affair things between the U.S. and and, and China and the trades markets that are above my pay grade. Um, you know, getting hardware into the U.S. So like, it's it's tricky. Um, we're gonna have to see what happens. I am disappointed to see their entryway into gaming uh get a little stalled yeah yeah it's it's very sad i feel like the gaming industry as a whole is facing you know facing i feel like every week it's layoff after layoff after layoff uh even though it's a thriving sector right in some ways it's had a it's had a rough year in its own its own way but well i think it's a lot of people who a lot of like large companies that were like you know what we should get into gaming and this isn't the first time we've seen this. Mm-hmm. So we, the world experienced this in 1982, 83, like right around when I was born. Um, where I was going to say like, what? <laughs> like, that's yeah, like I'm just a weird historian baby. when it comes to this stuff. Yeah. Like <laughs> we did see this before there was this video game crash of the early eighties. And a big part of that proponent of that was companies that had no business being in the gaming sector just all decided they were going to go out and start making video games. And they were horrible. Like they were just bad. At one point, and this is not a dig at the brand. I am a fan of the brand. They're often my breakfast. But at one point, Quaker Oats owned an Atari publishing video game company. And they actually like- Are you like, serious? Produ- I'm dead serious. It was called US Games. And they produced- Wow. Like half a dozen to a dozen video games for Atari. And it was owned by Quaker Oats. Wildest was it for cereals or for like Quaker Oats no. products? No. Wow. No. No. U.S. Gaming stood on its own. They just happened to be a subsidiary of Quaker Oats, and they released all of these video games for you know in the early '80s. Um, you know, Perina Dog Chow had an Atari game out. Like everyone was doing. It was shovelware city before we knew what shovelware meant, and I do kind of feel like we're tiptoeing back towards that. And so now a lot of these brands are like, oh, we don't actually know how to make video games. This isn't for, I don't know. We're, we're, we're kind of seeing that kind of play out. 
you know how I feel about this moment is like at one point, every company was a tech company, right? Every company, no right. matter what they were selling was a tech company. Right. I feel like we're at that moment where like every company's a gaming company, right? Um, yeah. I, I feel in some ways like they're all like, we're in gaming, we do this or we do that. And and you're seeing, I mean, it makes sense to me. Some some companies, it makes sense. Like Netflix totally. has tons of IP, makes yep. total sense that they brought Mike Verdu in like to lead gaming. Um, they're testing out all types they of gaming formats. They know how formats. to stream content. Yeah, they they, well, they know the yeah, networking, huge. right? Like they have something mm -hmm. to offer technologically speaking. A lot of these companies don't have something to offer technologically speaking. They're just like, we're gonna make a video game company, and it doesn't. Yeah, it's, so it's not that easy. Yeah, it's definitely not, and 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 I'm definitely seeing that. So I feel like it's that you know every company's a tech company, and now everyone's like every company is a gaming company. But um, I do think like Netflix games need to get a little bit better. Some of them, like the Love Is Blind game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some of yeah, the games yeah. i'm just like mm, i don't know if this is my thing but uh because i i mean i guilty pleasure i watch <laughs> i watch love is blind i watch the bachelor the bachelorette sorry people sorry to disappoint y'all um that's I like think we all knew this pleasures. i think secretly we, there was no question i think we just all assumed <laughs> you were into the bachelorette like i just i watched that i'm sorry i watched it forever <laughs> um it's the one thing it's the one thing where it's like everyone's like you watch that that's like, I was like, yeah, you know, if I want like a no brainer entertainment, like, yeah, I'll watch that. I'll have fun with it. Um, I've watched it for years. So, um, but it's, yeah, it's amazing. The things that you here. find out. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, there are shows that I'm super into like the great British bake off. I'm yeah. I'm oh, there was just a big I don't, elimination. I don't even, did you cry? Yeah. They just had a big no. elimination. I mean, no? yeah, they did. No, well, so, someone like I had my friend, my friend the other day, like I just saw her this weekend for Friendsgiving and she was like her and her husband watched it and they were like, one of them was crying. It's still just I was watching baking. The Crown. Okay. <laughs> I was crying during The Crown, but that's a different story. Right. Um, but yeah, some of the Netflix games, I mean, I get them having this amazing IP extending into immersive experiences in the physical world. Yeah. Pop up stores makes total sense. Extending into gaming. I mean, they got to push this IP further. Gaming makes sense. Yeah. It doesn't make sense maybe for some other. Um, but yeah, Quaker Oats having a games gaming studio is kind of. Shocking. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was. It, I, I at one point I talked to them about something else that we were like recently, like within the last couple of years, and I brought that up, and they had no idea. And I'm just like, "Are you kidding? It's part of your legacy. How do you it's part of your history. <laughs> There's not a plaque <laughs> at headquarters. Oh my gosh. Well, okay. So here it is. Here's the question: Future or fad? Every company being a gaming company. Oh God. I hope it's a fad. It won't be. It won't be. Um, this is the dystopian, you know, cyberpunk future we're all hurtling towards because eventually they're like every brand's going to go to AI and say, make me a video game and it will, and it will be great and it'll be super addictive and you'll never, yeah, it's, and you'll never yeah. leave the Quaker Oats video game. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, that would take a lot, you know, I don't know. Maybe I'll go to the post serials, um, uh, you know, video game. I don't know. Anyway, so um, I'll say it's futurish in some ways. I mean, every company I talk to, every brand is thinking about gaming. So maybe not that they're a gaming company, but they're all thinking of like, what does gaming mean for I us? Think, and their I new think social partnerships. Networks, so. I partnerships, think brands yeah. finding partnerships in established games, a hundred percent. I think that where we see a lot of it kind of break down is if 
that brand then goes out and says, I want to make a video game ourselves. It's happened. And it's, we've seen it be successful in the past. It's just rarer. It's just harder to, to see that. I remember like seven up when I was a kid, they had a video game, the spot, cool spot, I think is what it was called. Mm. It was on, it was on Sega Genesis. Loved that game as a kid. Like it was a massive hit. It was for, you know, I was too busy was. talking on my landline. Yeah. You so. just had your second <laughs> landline. <laughs> I was too busy talking on my landline. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to flex that one. Okay. <laughs> All right, so moving on, I want to talk about some of like hardware news stuff happening in the space. I feel like, you know, lots of stuff happening in the gaming XR uh, kind of scene. So a few things uh, I wanted to talk about. Uh, Humane, uh, who we've talked about, had a Black Friday sale. Uh, they actually sent me a $30 off uh, for Black Friday, which I thought was interesting. I was like, hmm, is this a good thing or is this a bad signal? I don't know. Uh, and the um, the CEO, the co-founders did a like a live Instagram, uh, you know, Q&A, like a live Insta uh, with the, with people. That was interesting to watch. So, yeah, you know, the, the jury's still out on Humane. Um, there was an interesting article. I think it was the Wall Street Journal or New York Times. We'll have to post it that talked about gestures and uh, mm. what you and I talked about, like having one of those devices, you have to learn new gestures. Right. Yeah. And for example, it was like if you do this, you have to tap twice, all those sorts of things. So there was this whole. Um, you know, it was, I think it was the information I'll, we'll find, we'll find a link and post it, but talking about gestures and it reminded me of when I was at working at magic leap, it was fascinating, fascinating. One of my favorite things was walking in the office at, H at HQ in Florida in front of the gestural lab, right? Where all the mm -hmm. gestures were worked on, the names were created for the different gestures and all these sorts of things, right? Cause you're manipulating things in space. Um, right. so, so yeah, like it reminded me of that. Like any thoughts on, 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 you know, humane's, yeah. uh, on humane's just like on gestures in general, maybe Ge gestures in general. I mean, it's, it's a part of like the human experience, right? Um, we, we give, uh, gestures on a daily basis, whether it's a, a high five or a middle finger, right? Like they, they all have some, some meaning and express something, um, in, in, in this elicit a reaction, uh, I started in gesture recognition. What was, I, I think it would be called computer vision now, but like I called yeah. it gesture recognition back in like 2011. Um, for those who don't know, my first foray into technology and building it um, was I built a DJ rig because I was a DJ back then, you know, two turntables and, and all that. Uh, but it used gesture recognition to control uh, the sound effects, reverb, mm -hmm. echoes, filters, you know, you get that whoop, whoop, whoop sound that was really popular during the EDM craze of like 2012. Uh, <laughs> but it was all in, it was very much like Mickey Mouse Fantasia. As I moved my hands, the whole sound yeah. changed to the point where people thought when they would go to a show that it was choreographed. Like there were Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Because it was so, now it seems like Duh, okay, this is every day. But back in 2011, no one's doing this. So it was yeah. very mysterious and people weren't sure if it was real or not. Um, I actually spent some time uh, with Imogene Heap, uh, mm -hmm. an artist yeah. who some people out of the UK. Some She's super great. Didn't with. she have these gloves where she did it, all she this? Was building, she that. was building the gloves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I, I spent a day with her, like going through her when she was first yeah. building like the, the prototypes of those gloves. We talked through that um, and, and how wow. 
gesture recognition works because I took a different approach, right? Mine was all based on effects and she was doing notes. And then we got into this theory about people thinking about sound on a scale and why the theremin doesn't really work as an instrument. Like it just, it was <laughs> well, all over the, the map. conversation with her. I mean, she's like, an artist, but a philosopher oh, she's a genius. in some ways. So yeah, I mean, yeah. my goodness. She, keep, keep she's, she, you want to talk about uh, yeah. a, an amazing mind in, in the music and technology and space. Technology. And she just, yeah. she just keeps going. She came up in a conversation during a, a Thanksgiving uh, hangout that I, I had where a friend of mine just had a baby. And um, I guess Imogene came up with a song. I'll have to go look this up because this needs For to, babies? this might be a, it's, it's, mathematically created to get kid, babies to stop crying. Oh, that, that's a wonderful to, thing. <laughs> and, and my friend swears by it. So like, I need to go do like this conversation literally came up like last night. So I need to go do some research. Cause it definitely sounds like a, from the fringe article that we, yes. we need to do. So that's all I'm going to say about it. All that to say, Yes, I, I think that um, as things like the humane pen come out and we'll see other technology, new gestures are going to become secondary in nature and, and was kind of part of the the parts that worked with even like Google Glass with like the side scrolling and things like that led to tapping and being able to control on, on your earbuds. And, and, you know, it's just how do you interact as simply as possible? Um, and, and I think like Apple, for example, it's leading the way there on making it very easy. Always Like have. the double tap idea and concept, yeah. making it as easy Slide as possible. Slide to unlock. Yeah. Like slide yeah, to unlock. Yeah. The early slide iPhone was nothing but gesture. Yeah. Because I'll be honest, like as a, a an early HoloLens user, Microsoft HoloLens yeah. user, I hate the pinching. Like it yep. got to a point because when you, for people that are listening, when you're using the HoloLens, at least one of the original the first versions, you had to do this little pinch with your fingers and like and these gestures. And it got to a point where like my hand was just like, I, I no, this just doesn't feel yeah. natural. I mean, those things are evolving and getting better. Um, I feel Magic Leap was a little bit better on the gestures, right? And the gestures all had names, which was interesting. Naming them is, there's a whole architecture that goes into this world of creating mm -hmm. these gestures. And so I think there's a lot there. Um, yeah, it, the article that, really, oh yeah, go ahead. Who I'm really impressed with when it comes to like trying to figure out these unique gesture situations. And I think we're mm -hmm. going to see this when the Vision Pro comes out because it's all gesture based, but mm -hmm. we don't know what to expect with that yet. Um, VR chat to to prepare, I believe, and this is all speculative, but I believe it's to prepare for the Vision Pro, but also knowing that the Quest 3 has really great hand tracking. They have already implemented a completely gesture based system to going through their games, which means no That's controllers. Interesting. Wow. And I, I was really questioning when I saw the Vision Pro first come out, like how do you play a video game and traverse, you know, a, mm -hmm. a, a, a level right in 3D space because you don't have joysticks. How do you? Yeah. No one wants to like run in place. We we played with that in like 2016. It's horrible. Um, yeah. So Gertwigs, I think that's what that was yeah. called. A machine that you ran in place, yeah. Uh, the big baby stroller that you strapped in. Oh, that was horrible. <laughs> I'm sorry. It wasn't good. Um, but uh, so VR chat really already has implemented this and it's hard to explain over, over a yeah. podcast. So I'm not going to try, but they basically have a very intuitive way of getting people to control and it's comfortable. You're, mm -hmm. you don't get tired. You're not constantly keeping your hands up in the air. Um, it's in a very good relaxed position where, you're controlling basically as a joystick with your hand on one side and you've got five or four uh, different tap to 
do a function on the other yeah. hand. Um, so there's it's be, funny where you're seeing some of this research come in. Some type of universal way to do the tapping yeah. where everyone does it the same. Like just like a lot of us used to phone in the same way. Um, that's got to happen at some point. And in, in the article, uh, the the reporter was talking about how like he doesn't believe that gestures are going to work. That you know he doesn't use any of the gestures for his devices. But I think you know when you look when you look at the future of hardware and AI wearable that's coming. You know with with spatial computing, mixed reality, like. There's, there's got to be gestures in there. There's, it, it's a natural it, it way will. to engage. So. I mean, these are the same people who said that they wouldn't abandon their their Blackberries because <laughs> who wants a phone without buttons, right? Like, it <laughs> will get there. Um, mm-hmm. It's just not, it's not there yet. I mean, it wasn't so long ago that touchscreens were basically sci-fi. Um, yeah. and, and so we had to create, as technology changes, you get new ways to interact with those pieces mm-hmm. of technology. New interfaces, uh, new ways. I mean, the mouse was revolutionary, right? When it came out. I mean, they um, said touch tone yeah. phones weren't going to catch on and like back in the rotary <laughs> phone days. So Ooh. I don't listen to those people. Uh, <laughs> it's just, <laughs> you have to adapt. So, um, one more thing related to that before I do fad and future related to gestures, I'll, um, I, I'll say this. So uh, Vario, who's a Finnish company that's really, really advanced high-end mixed reality headsets, they just released the XR4, uh, which is um, the starting price is 3990 It's much lower than its predecessor, the XR3, which was $6,495. So when people complain about the Vision Pro, I'm like, uh, Vario. With a subscription. With a subscription. <laughs> it's that number that you just heard with, with a subscription. subscription. Um, I did. So I have demoed. I'm, I'm, I know the folks at Vario. They've got a you know headquarters in the, here in D.C. Um, they actually invited me to a, uh, a a happy hour a couple of weeks ago. And now I'm like, man, I should have gone. They were probably demoing this privately. I didn't, you know, I haven't demoed the XR4. I have demoed the XR3, which is amazing. I mean, mm. the, the natural eyesight, like... I would normally need glasses sometimes to read certain little letters or something. When I wore the XR3, like I didn't need glasses. So when they talk about this new headset being as good as natural eyesight or better, I believe it. I've seen the XR3 before. Totally. I cannot wait to try the XR4. This is top totally. notch and um, and everything. Thoughts on, on Vario? Can they compete? Um, you know, I mean, We don't know until we see what Apple rolls out. I Maybe in the high end, you got to get everything perfectly right enterprise solution space. Like, but even then, it's it's interesting when you start talking with a lot of these enterprise companies and really start boiling down what their problems are. It very rarely gets to a point where it's about fidelity. Um, it's, well, it depends. So they have a barrier does a lot of work here in DC in defense. Mm-hmm. And depending, mm-hmm. like if it's medical or defense, I could see why you would need specific, like needed to be very, very, like very yeah. high fidelity, like one to one or even better, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I've got a couple of things that I'm thinking of in the back of my head that I just can't say due to NDAs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, th- is there a market for it? Yes, I think there's a market for it. I- am I the market for it? Probably not. Um, th- there's, there's, I'm. To be completely honest, and yes, I will get one because it's my job, but if it weren't my job, would I be in the market for a Vision Pro? Probably not. Not the first one, at least. Um, I I think that this is definitely going to follow that pattern of very expensive, establish your developer base, and then release the one Mm -hmm. that 
is still expensive, but comparatively, you don't think it's expensive because good grief, the first one was it's really expensive. expensive. It was worth it, though. It's amazing. One of the most amazing devices I've tried. I mean, the Vario XR3, and I can't wait to try the XR4. So if my Vario friends are listening to this, please invite me to HQ. I will come over and demo that puppy. <laughs> um, talking about that, you know, and I, I really can't talk much about it. I, I can mention that I'm going because I've seen people post about it on LinkedIn. But uh, as, as many of you guys know, uh, both Lee's team, you know, and, and the team he's working with and my team, Journey, uh, we're all developing, you know, exploring how to develop for the Apple Vision Pro, which is it's not easy right now. I have to say yeah. it's it's a pretty um, pretty time consuming, interesting process to say the least. Uh, but my team and I, one of my engineers and myself, are heading to um, Apple Developer Labs this week. So I'm very excited. I probably won't I won't be able to talk much about it, obviously. Uh, but I am truly excited to be able to do this. It's funny. I'll say this, Lee, before we go into fatter future. Whenever I talk to anyone, they know a lot of a lot about me, about you know my podcast and the content I put out. But I don't think they realize that I'm actually in the trenches, like right, working right. on these things. Like, you know, I have li- like very very limited technical knowledge, but I have some, and I'm in there trying to figure these things right, <laughs> trying to figure out Xcode, doing all these sorts of things. So I'm not just, you know, I like being in there. I like building when it's hard. So like going to Apple. I'm just, I'm so excited. I, I mean, I've been to, I went to Apple Park a couple weeks ago, but uh, going to developer labs is just like for me, a dream come true and a big challenge. So very that, comfortable. I mean, it. I, I know you won't be able to say anything on air, yeah. but we're going to have a call when you get back. I <laughs> want to know. <laughs> <laughs> Apple company, Apple company in Cupertino. I'm not talking to anyone. Don't worry. <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm super excited though. I'm thrilled. Uh, we're working already with a couple of brands and companies and I'm just, I, you know, you know, I'm, I'm all about the spatial computing revolution that is upon us. So, um, anyway, before we head into spatial computing, which is going to be our next uh, topic that we're going to discuss, let's, let me ask you, is the future filled with gestures? Are we going to control our technology with gestures, future fad or future, future fad? Yes. Thumbs up future. See, yeah, see, it doesn't go well on a a podcast. It's going to happen. (laughs) Future for me. That's like asking if like emojis are going to be in the future. Like, yeah, (laughs) for a while. Yeah, it just is. I don't know why, but yeah, it is. Yeah, Yeah, according to my kids, definitely emojis. Um, Yeah, they criticize my emoji game now. Like, oh my gosh, I know you start, you start getting, you feel old when your kids are like, mom, that emoji is cringe, right? So I'm like, mom, stop using the happy face, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, what? I thought it was being cool. Like, just take it back to the emoticons where it's just all ASCII text. It's like, that they that's... probably wouldn't even know what that is. They're like, mom, what is the, what are these squiggly lines? What are you trying to say to me? I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, um, now going on to spatial computing. Uh, some really cool things happening here. So I used to work at AWS, Amazon Web Services. And every December, uh, right after Thanksgiving, sometime after Thanksgiving, it's November, December, depending on the year, they have their big conference called AWS reInvent in Vegas. That's mm-hmm. been happening every year. It's By the time this airs, it'll be happening. Lots of interesting folks over there. A lot of AWS you know, clients and companies. And uh, my friend Allie K. Miller, who's an AI influencer is over there right now covering things. She's doing great work, so follow her. But yeah, from a spatial computing perspective, they've got a few things going on, the spatial computing team. 
they've got some sessions that they're going to be having. So I'll read out, I'll read some of these, the titles, because I thought this was fascinating. One of them is Deploying Photogrammetry, I'll try that again. <laughs> Deploying Photogrammetry and 3D Models in the Cloud with Reality Capture. Mm-hmm. Uh, deploying NVIDIA Omniverse Nucleus on AWS. Uh, there's another one that is about Emirates using spatial technology to hire and train the next generation. That is probably going to be fascinating. Uh, then this one for the geeky the geeky people out there that love data, this is going to totally resonate. Build a spatial data lake with visual asset management system uh, in order to unlock the value of spatial data. I mean, oh my gosh, like data lakes, visual data lakes. Like I'm, I think visual data is going to be a massive part of why spatial computing is adopted. And then this is my favorite one. <laughs> it says getting started with applications for Apple Vision Pro and AWS. So it says mm. in this talk, spatial computing specialists guide you through the toolkit needed to build applications on the new Vision OS ecosystem for the forthcoming Apple Vision Pro using Amazon EC2 Mac instances. So interesting. Really exciting. Interesting yeah, thing. You there's know. a lot to unpack in all of those. Um yeah, I'm glad to hear that they're still pushing the photogrammetry side of it. Um, I, I worked a little bit on that when I was at Intel, and it's such cool technology to be able to kind of like, the goal is to stream, right? You yeah. need to stream um, photogrammetry for those who, it's basically 3D content, but not like a 3D movie. It's yeah. like a live model um, and it's just very difficult. Uh, it's It's surprisingly very similar to how we stream we did early streaming with uh, with pixels. Now it's with voxels, mm-hmm. uh, but it's just super heavy. It's interesting to to hear that they're they're pushing that, and that's that's one of the areas because uh, I think that that is a form of entertainment in the wings that the the world hasn't quite discovered yet. Um, yeah. That'll be very interesting. That's going to change a lot. Yeah, it's a, it's an evolution, like an evolution of you know the still image to motion picture, oh, yeah, all those yeah. sorts of things, right? It is the next, yeah, it is the next evolution from yeah. from movies, um, mm-hmm. because it puts you there. Uh, it's, yeah, whether it's, it's volumetric, whether it's photogrammetry, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever, it, whatever you know, whatever it is, in that spatial context, yeah, right. It, yeah. It, it's going to unlock these opportunities for new ways of creating entertainment. Yeah. Um, that use that make use of our, of our spatial world and our, you know, our spatial nature. So, and if you're capturing exciting. like a sports team, Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah and yeah. you can see from all angles and you can go on the field and you can see it as, and then you just replace AI over, over the referees and get rid of the refs. <laughs> I'm there for it. Like you oh, want to no. know, <laughs> when you want to know where AI can, can do some good. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I don't, I, I know people really have like a thing with the referees, but like, I don't know. Like I, I, I like the human referees. I, I would keep them human. <laughs> I'm team human in that one, Lee. I don't know. I'm team human. I've seen a couple calls where I'm just like, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. But, um, so yeah, I mean, I think spatial computing keeps heating, heating, you know, heating up. I, it's interesting. So the Harvard article that came out got great feedback um, mm. and everything. It's it's interesting because still, I feel like people still are so obsessed. That's the right word. Uh, and rightfully so. Like, don't, I don't want my AI people to misinterpret what I'm saying. But I feel like people are really obsessed with AI right now. And rightfully so. Like, that's what everyone wants to talk about. But from a longer term vision... Like for me, in order for us to truly engage with AI beyond beyond like our screens, 
it's got to move into some type of spatial format, some type of AI wearable. So like my 2024 is, you know, my biggest obsession for 2024 is thinking about the future of wearables of these AI wearables that are coming of spatial computing, spatial computers, like this concept of understanding wearables is about AI. Yes, but spatial computing, not that it couldn't be, but Mm -hmm. it hasn't been turned into a boogeyman. Good so point. it just, it doesn't get, it that hasn't price. hit the hype cycle. So yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, now there are definitely in spatial computing there. I can make it a boogeyman. There's privacy concerns. There's cameras oh, yeah. everywhere. There's all types of things that I can boogeyman about this, but you know, it, it's, we've been conditioned to look as humans, to look at AI as the inevitable technological boogeyman from, from early, early media. Like this is just, how it is uh so you know it is it is the frankenstein's monster of technology in a way um and i think we're all freaked out by it because we've been planning on being freaked out by it. <laughs> well it's interesting because all the open ai coverage that came afterwards and i don't want to go down this rabbit hole but it was like they saw they found they saw something that scared them or blah blah, blah. i'm like okay well one day when the Netflix show comes out, we'll see. <laughs> we'll we'll kind of know what really happened, but not really. No, we okay. won't. No, we won't. We'll never know. We'll never know unless we were there. Um, so I don't know. But I, I want to go into talking a little bit about an article that came out this uh, this weekend that really spoke to me. It's in The Guardian. Um, and it's related to AI and the role of women in AI, working in AI. It said, where are all the godmother, hold on, let me say that again. Where are all the godmothers of AI? Uh, And it talked about, you know, women's voices not being, you know, heard. Um, It talked, for example, about OpenAI's board being replaced by all white males, no women on the board. That's been a big criticism that's been made. Maybe they'll change that and, and rectify that. But as someone who was, you know, who was given the moniker, the godmother of the metaverse, I always wore that. And I still do uh, very proudly wear it because there's no king of the metaverse or there's mm-hmm. no, uh, you know, the, the godfather of of, Met- of the metaverse is considered Neil Stevenson, right? So I, I love that there was a godmother, you know, myself, <laughs> they gave me that title. And then that there was the queen of the metaverse, which is like Paris Hilton used that. But I haven't seen that in AI. And there's so many amazing female voices in the space that this article I thought was really interesting. I've seen seen it shared all across my social, like my my, my feeds. Um, everyone, you know, everyone's talking about these and and how there's you know so many amazing women in the AI space. You know, why don't why haven't we seen a godmother of AI? Like, we need one. Well, why why do you? Why, I mean, what what would your assessment be? I think you would be the very mm-hmm. first person I would ask that question to. I don't know. I like. I feel like a lot of the companies that are working, and, and I don't know, right? I, I I haven't really. I know a lot more about the space you and I are in, right? That is more mm-hmm. like the the gaming space or the you know, the XR space or some of the metaverse space, even the Web three space. I know more about the makeup of some of these companies more so than AI. The AI companies that I know, it, most of what I've seen is a lot of male. Uh, employees, right? And and not all of them, you know, not all of, all of them white, but a lot of male employees. And that's been interesting. What I've seen is that women, for some reason, a lot of the women have been the ones that have said, hey, something might not be going right, or we should have more mm-hmm. ethics, or, you know, and, and it's interesting, because some of them are not even doomers, like they're just saying, hey, I think we need to have, you know, 
temperature checks or we need to have those, you know, checkpoints. It's it's not even that they're doomers. It's just that they're, I think, realistic and saying, hey, right. we, we need to check some of these things and see how, the, how they're going. So I don't know. Um, I'm trying to make sense of it. Like, I just... I, I wish, like, I don't know, like, I, I, I kind of, uh, this is my, the godmother of the metaverse wishing for, um, the godmother of AI, uh, you know, to, to be, to be crowned in some way, because I do think we need a lot of female voices. I mean, the CTO of OpenAI, who became the CEO shortly, mm-hmm. Mira Marati, I think an amazing leader. I mean, Fei Fei Ling, like, there's a lot, a lot of amazing women, but why hasn't, I don't know, I, I want to see more of them. You know, I think, I don't know if there's really even a lot of men's voices in AI. There's a lot of men building it. And everyone Mm -hmm. knows the name of Sam Altman now, but that's because of what happened. I don't think that there, even prior to everything that just happened with uh, OpenAI, it wasn't like Sam was the poster child of AI to the common person. You know what I mean? I I don't know. Like, I feel like he, he has become that. He has, he oh, definitely. That person, right? De- definitely. So, you know, but a big chunk of that has been boosted because of what has transpired in the last mm-hmm. couple of, of weeks, right? Um, the whole concept behind AI and having a voice is the fact that AI itself has the voice. And, and I wonder if that's not playing into mm. it. I also agree with you that I think that if you have reservations, there's probably some silencing happening because people are just trying to move it forward as fast as possible and figure out where the business use case is because where's the dollars? Um, that's not necessarily what we should be doing right mm-hmm. now. So I don't know. Um, I just, I want more women to be recognized. And there was an interesting article that Forbes published and said 10 women that OpenAI could add to the board. So we'll include that article as well. I, I want to see, you know, I want to see more, more women. And that leads me to part of the story, not related to OpenAI, but related to a conference uh, called Devternity that this is baffling. Like this, this just shocked, it shocked me. Um, th- this conference actually was putting up fake female speaker profiles to boost what? the perceived number of women speaking. So there's like a woman called Anna Bo- Boykio who does not exist, like she was created with AI. They had her as a speaker. Um, this is controversial. Like, yeah, no, that's, this is a bad switch. use of AI. Like, like no, <laughs> that's, that's not controversial. That's lying. That's lying. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. That is not controversial. That is lying. It's horrible. I was, I was like, just shook, just shook that this, this event would you know, generate fake female speakers to try to like even the numbers. Can't you just so what, call what's like the an end, actual what's person? What's the end game here? Like, if you show up to a, a of a conference and then like all of the women just canceled when you show, I don't understand I don't how know, you. No, but th- this just that feels like something's missing. Something something about that story. It's either someone messed up really bad. Like I just I don't know. Like it. It just gave me the wrong, like, I was just kind of like, why? Why do you need to do that? Why couldn't you just invite female speakers? There's plenty of women that work in the space. Anyway, yeah. this yeah. Hor- horrible, like horrible use of the technology. What not to do with AI? So here's the question. So. You do a lot, you do a lot of conferences. You mm-hmm. do a lot of public speaking. Let's say hypothetically, and this is going to lead to 
something else, I promise. Okay, so hypothetically, you get called and there's two major conferences and you want to be at both and you can't be at both. And let's say it's five years from now and AI is Mm -hmm. caught up with it. And one of the options is you could just have an AI of you do the other conference. Would 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 that suffice? Would you be okay with you going years? to one conference sure. and then your AI goes and does the other conference? Yeah, because I would have it trained on who I am and my thoughts and you know my work. Okay, that's very different than a random you know person that does not exist showing up. Totally, as a totally, totally. <laughs> no, no. Totally. I mean, it would be I would have control over my own AI. I would have trained it with my own thoughts. It would be kind of a surrogate of who I am, a part of who I am at that point in five years, right? So no, no, I have no, I have no issue with that in the future. What I have an issue with is creating fake female speaker profiles. Totally. Because 100%. you want to have, pretend you have more female speakers. Just get the female speakers. There's so many women. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So it flat, you know, this might be news to a lot of people. They might not know that this happened, but yeah, we'll, we'll include a link to the story. Cause I was just like, this is insane. And, um, yeah. Well, like, I where just, where I was piggybacking that yeah. is, did you? I think you saw the article with James Earl Jones. Yes, yes, yes. Tell folks about that. So evidently, James Earl Jones, who's the voice of my entire childhood, um, <laughs> and also Darth Vader, uh, as if anyone didn't know that, has agreed to allowing his voice kind of be voice printed for Darth Vader to continue on because he's wanting. He's gotten to a point where he's like, I want to pull back a little bit. And he didn't like officially say he was retiring or anything like that, but you know he. And evidently he's already done this. This is, this has been in play and we just didn't know it. At least I didn't know it. Uh, it was used for one of the Disney plus, um, uh, uh, series that had Darth Vader in it. That's James Earl Jones's voice, but it's not him. It's his AI voice print. Uh, and it's just one of those rare instances that we're starting to see where the artist is saying, yes, I see a use case for this. I don't want to do this anymore, but. I will allow this to be licensed and you can continue to use my, my voice likeness. Now, who knows what type of amazing deal that is because there's only one James Earl Jones. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that was one of those rare instances that I saw an, uh, a personality, an artist, um, an actor uh, say, you know what? I see positivity in this technology and I can, we can come to an agreement for this. I love so, that. Darth Vader will continue. Uh, and and <laughs> that that to me is awesome. No, I agree. So fad or future? Future or fad here? Oh, it's a hundred percent future. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're 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 there. I I just as we were talking, I was like, wow, I could see someone training an AI to become a parenting app so that when a kid has to like get advice and you're not like who knows, whether they're on the school I don't bus. Know. <laughs> It's just, it can go in so many weird directions. There's going to be so many strange new apps for this type of thing. Yeah. Well, we'll have to see what happens, but um, I I do want you to go and do some field work and find out about the Imogene, Imogene Heap song and see if it I will. I will. I'll pull that out. You should be like, can I come up, serve your child? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm very curious. I want to go look up this because my friend swears this song works like. That's amazing. I, I want more details on that. So yeah, we're going to go on break. Uh, but after the break, we are going to have an amazing interview with Zoe Skamen from Bodacious, a strategy studio. She is an amazing mind. I love Zoe with all my heart. Uh, and we're going to be talking about a, lot, a lot about gaming, about community, about niche, uh, niches and everything in the multiplayer brand. It's something that she talks a lot about. So let's go to break. And after that, Zoe Skamen. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Now I am joined by my dear friend, Zoe Skamen, uh, who is one of the people that I find the most interesting out there. Uh, especially on LinkedIn when it comes to content related to community, to Web3, to the future of gaming, kind of where this is all heading. So Zoe, welcome to Tech Magic. Thank you for having me. Fantastic. So for folks, a lot of folks do know you, uh, but there might be some listening to the podcast that, you know, this might be the first time they're hearing about you and the work you do. Can you just give folks a little bit of an idea of who you are, what you're doing, what you're passionate about? Of course, yeah. So I've spent about uh, 22 years working across innovation, brand, entertainment, uh, sport, all of those different worlds. And over the last couple of years, I've been running my own strategy consultancy, which pulls all of those different threads together. So where I tend to operate most at the moment is looking at what's coming over the horizon in terms of emerging technologies, future scenarios, um, all of that kind of stuff. And I've spent a lot of time delving into the worlds of fandom and how that's changing user-generated content, democratized creation tools, and all that exciting stuff um, to hopefully get a grasp on what our near-term future is going to look like. Fantastic. And I kind of want to start talking about one of the things that I feel like you're such a fantastic expert on. So you spent, like you mentioned, the last few years studying, you know, generative fandoms. Um, how are new creation technologies, you know, such as AI and the gaming engines like Unity and Unreal, impacting how, you know, folks behave, how fandoms behave, and what they are building. So fan fiction, fan art, um, kind of the idea of fans as, you know, generative communities has been around, you know, forever. So if you look back to, you know, the days of Trekkies, for example, they would write speculative fiction about how, uh, you know, Captain Kirk and Dr. Spock were actually in a homosexual relationship together and, you know, all of the adventures that they went on. And so that kind of stuff has been around for ages. You know, Fifty Shades of Grey was born out of Twilight fan fiction, etc. What we're now seeing, though, is they are being given new creation tools. And so we are giving them generative AI, which is allowing them to not only think about new pathways into narratives, new character development, that kind of stuff at the sort of the turn of a fingertip, all the way through to new visualizations of what these worlds and these new characters and, you know, their take on the fandoms might actually look like. And we've already started to see some of it. Um, there was a brilliant kind of small project that was released probably about two weeks ago. Um, and there was a young girl writing about Timothy Chalamet. And she had written a fan fiction romance all about Timothy Chalamet. But not only that, she had used Dali 
to actually then create images of herself and Timothy going about their adventures. So, you know, having romantic walks on the beach, um, you know, him meeting her parents, that kind of stuff as well. So we're now able to almost color in between the lines of where previously we would have had to make it up in our imaginations. Now we can see it. You know, we can actually sort of feel it come to life in different ways. And the same is true of the kind of more, um, I suppose, world building creation tools. So things like Epic, uh, things like Unity. And what we're starting to see, you know, with things like Unreal Engine is people are able to kind of build these fantasy worlds. They're actually able to build, um, you know, recreations, for example, of IP that they love, but also kind of put their own spin on it as well and allow others to then experience their vision, you know, through their eyes. And so I think what we're going to start to see is more and more of this fan fiction stuff come to life. So we're going to see tangents on different IP. We're going to see, um, you know, different stories come about, you know, different character arcs in terms of what if scenarios. And it's going to be really exciting. The only downside is obviously going to be IP creators may turn around and say cease and desist, as they have always done throughout the history of fandom. Um, but I also think there's going to be more and more of them opening up to the opportunities in this space and actually saying, you know, where are these fans going to take it? Could there be, you know, new nuances that maybe we haven't considered? Could there be real merit in allowing them to go on their own adventures and to explore their own narratives? And where could that lead us as IP owners in the future? And, and that's a really interesting point, because I just took my son a couple of weeks ago Um to see uh, the Five Nights at Freddy's yes. movie. He's a big fan of the franchise, you know, indie indie game. I took him and a whole bunch of his little friends. Like, they're all, you know, Gen Alpha. They loved the movie. They were like, when's the number two coming out? Like, there's they were having all these theories and all these, like, tangents that they were going into. And it was just beautiful to watch that, right? To watch that kind of fan fiction being created right in front of me with the kids. Um, so I, I I love what you're saying because I think that there is this moment where brands have been so used to saying, you know, season this is this is don't use my IP. But I feel like now they're starting to be like, well, there is a co-creation opportunity. There is a chance. And that leads me really well into into the next question. So in some of the talks, you've been traveling around the world. You've been doing some really amazing talks. Um, you have been recently writing and talking about the arrival of what you call the multiplayer brand. Can you tell us a little bit more, a little bit more about that? What is the multiplayer brand? So I think what we are starting to see with these new tools and with you know a generation being trained on creation as play um, is more and more of them are saying, I don't want to sit there and have a brand passively advertise to me or passively show me content that I'm supposed to sit there and enjoy. I want to be a part of it. I want to participate in it. I want toolkits. And, you know, we're seeing that already happening in Roblox, for example, in Minecraft. You know, we've got this generation of younger kids who are building as a form of play. Um, you know, they're creating different outfits for their avatars. They're creating games themselves. They're creating worlds. And in some cases, they're spending months and months creating these little universes only for three of their friends to come and play it for two weeks. And then they give up on it and they move on to something else. But that idea of creation as a form of play is being really embedded in terms of their everyday and what their expectations are. And so when they come to become, you know, consumers so in their teens and their sort of, you know, early 20s, etc., that expectation is still going to be there. They're not going to be able to sit there and passively say, I'm just going to watch something or I'm just going to experience something without myself actually having a role in it. And so I think more and more what we're going to start to see, which we're already starting to see with some brands, is them actually providing those toolkits. And saying, here is a level of creative freedom. Here is a brief for you to go and explore within certain parameters. You know, we're seeing it with Nike's dot swoosh and basically allowing creators to create their own virtual sneakers, you know, actually having their 3D files and then saying, go for your life, create whatever you want. It can be realistic. It could be crazy. It could be physics defying. It could have flames coming out the back of it. 
we're seeing it with Lego World Builder, where Lego are turning around to their fans and saying, create the next big franchise for us that could be a video game, it could be a movie, it could be an IRL set, you know, all of that stuff as well. And I think we're going to see that opening up of brands more and more so, where they start to really recognize, you know, the creativity and also the commercial value of allowing their fans in, as opposed to keeping them at arm's length moving forward. Well, it's interesting because that leads us into this, you know, world of co-creation, right? Where it's no longer the brand just speaking down to the fans of that brand or that franchise or that IP. It's more like having an actual co-creation, you know, collaboration relationship. Um, you know, you went, you you were one of the the experts that we interviewed for a study we did with the Harvard Business Review Analytics Service on Generation Alpha. And I know you and I are very, very, um, you know, very keen on understanding this younger generation that's still being born. What are some of your thoughts around Generation Alpha? Because you mentioned, you know, they're, they're world builders. They use these world building tools for play. But what are some other thoughts? And, and we're going to include a link to the to the report um, in, in the show notes as well and any links, you know, to any of your, any of your talks as well. But what are your thoughts around Generation Alpha? Why do... Why do companies and businesses and brands in general, even governments, why do they need to pay attention to this new generation that's coming down the line? I think mostly it's because they are already engaging in a lot of the behaviors that maybe our generation wouldn't have until we were much older. So, you know, we are seeing them, for example, going on protest marches in Roblox to free Palestine. Um, and they're doing that because they're too young to actually hit the streets, but they're not necessarily too young to have a voice and to actually know where they can actually put that. And so I think that, you know, their their power and their agency and their ability to actually make a shift and make a change is happening so much younger than it was previously. So when we talked about, you know, Gen Z, for example, and we got really excited about what their possibilities were, we weren't really paying attention to them until they were about 16, 17 years old, they became quote unquote proper consumers. But these kids are already consuming, you know, they are already buying Robux, and they're already buying, um, you know, virtual avatar outfits, for example, they're already buying their way into games. Um, you know, the microtransactions they're doing in all of these gaming worlds is massively significant in terms of the amount of money that they're spending. And it's only a matter of time, you know, before they start to dictate more of that when it comes to their parents. I think it's also because they're learning how markets work and how to be entrepreneurs. So I've recently finished um, a massive uh, study with the Walton Foundation, who are some of the biggest spenders on philanthropic education in the US. Um, and I'm working on that white paper at the moment, but some of the research that came out was mind boggling. So 25% of the kids that we interviewed under the age of 13 are actively selling their creations on Roblox Marketplace. You know, they are literally children under the age of 13, but they are selling their creations. And it's incredible to actually see that. The other thing is that they're so aware of what these games and what this kind of creation as play is giving them. And they talked a lot about the soft skills that they're learning. So collaboration, teamwork, perseverance. These are all skills that we desperately need to instill, not only, you know, in our children, but also in ourselves. We don't know what's coming down the line, you know, in terms of, you know, the future of work and actually what the gigs are going to be. But the soft skills are going to be there regardless. And I think what's really interesting is just their, their awareness of this, even at the ages of seven, eight, nine years old. They are aware of the fact that these games are kind of giving into those. And that's where they really want to spend much more of their time and energy. And th that's a really great example because my son, um, you know, he's a Roblox developer and, and there's sometimes he'll make, you know, $100 a month. <laughs> so like that, that's not something I was doing when I was 11, right? <laughs> I was definitely not making that kind of cash. Um, so that's, that's re really interesting. What might, in your perspective, what might the future hold for the next generation brands and fans with these new technologies at their fingertips? You kind of alluded to it, but any other futuristic foresight looking visions on, on what these technologies are going to do to brands, 
but also to fans? Is the era of the, you know, Madison Avenue brand over? I think for some brands, it will probably remain. It depends on you know, the audience that they're going after. But I think when we're thinking about next gen brands and the way that they should be thinking, the way that I described it in the multiplayer brand is that a brand will become an emergent ecosystem. And what I mean by that is they still have um, the parameters. You still have to kind of make sure that you've got control of a brand because if you don't have control over it, there's no consistency and therefore a brand doesn't exist. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you need to control everything end to end. So I think that idea of an emergent ecosystem is basically saying we are open to actually stretching in new directions, to getting different bits of feedback from fans, to allowing them to help us co-navigate what the future might look like or to develop ourselves in a new category um, or to explore a brand new virtual world in a different way or to open up a kind of mutual value economy in which we give them the toolkits, you know, they create the assets and we all prosper, you know, as one. And so I think that idea of mutual value creation is going to be really, really important. So rather than just brands making stuff, distributing it, selling it and making money themselves, it's actually, you know, how do we bring our brands um, fans in and actually turn these customers into co-creators who can actually make money through us as well. And we're already starting to see that with what Nike are doing with Dot Switch, which I've already mentioned, but also Artifact. Um, also the way that, you know, Epic are running their marketplace called Fab, where they're basically saying, you know, you keep 88% of the amount of money that you actually make from the assets that you sell. And more and more, it's because these brands are saying, well, actually, these people have limited time on their hands. They're not going to make assets for our world, for our brand at the goodness of their heart or because they're bored. We have to make this economically viable to them, economically attractive to them. Otherwise, how do we create a sticky community which helps us to you know, further our ends as well? It's really interesting when I look at the broader entertainment music industry, there's so many headlines and so much attention being put on Hollywood or on, you know, on music, but gaming as a whole is actually bigger than Hollywood and music combined. Why do you think, this is something that's always baffled me, right? Is why do you think that in general, the business world is not taking gaming seriously when one in three people labels themselves as a gamer in the world? So any thoughts around that? I think being brutally honest about it, it's because the executives at the top who are making those decisions as to where to invest their time and energy are not themselves playing video games. And if they're not in those spaces, if they're not experimenting with Roblox, with Fortnite, maybe if they don't have children that are playing it, or if they do, they don't sit with them and actually kind of see how these worlds are unfolding. They therefore have those blinkers on, which is, well, I'm not in it personally, and therefore it doesn't exist to me, and therefore it's a niche. Um, which I think is such a shame and also such a missed opportunity as well. I mean, yes, they're exposed to entertainment. Yes, they're exposed to music. But I think in terms of what's happening in innovation with business models, with fandom models, with world building, with new technologies, it's all happening within gaming at the moment. And if you're not paying attention to that, I think it's a really big miss. Yeah. And I mean, gaming is culture. That's, you know, I had a, a very, like my son is very much a gamer and I'm very immersed in that world. So like, I'm always hearing about all these new games and it's, it's interesting to see how his generation embraces, you know, gaming. Um, not so much like the giant franchises they do, but there are, but they are about user generated content. They love indie, indie games. Like they will support these indie games. So it's, it's it's really interesting to to kind of look at that. Um, so Zoe, we're coming towards the end of uh, of the interview. Um, is there anything that you're really interested in right now that you think people should explore? I mean, I've, you've put out some amazing content out there. Anything that you think folks should be reading or should be looking at um, as as they think about the future fandom, the multiplayer brand, like you mentioned? What kind of resources do you think they should they should go hunt for? 
I think first and foremost, it's about getting into those spaces. As I mentioned, you know, if you're not in those spaces, you can't see them existing. That doesn't necessarily mean you need to go and buy yourself a console. But what you can do is you can buy yourself something like a backbone, you know, clip it onto your phone. It's less than $100, turns your phone into a mini console, and then you can dive into Gucci Town. Um, or you can go and have a look at Vans World, for example, and just see how other brands are executing in this space and why they're so unbelievably popular. So I think, you know, that's kind of first and foremost. I would be paying real attention to what's happening at the moment in terms of the economies and the communities that are being built around Unreal Engine, um, but also, you know, the likes of Roblox as well, because without people building on their platforms for their platforms, these businesses cannot grow and they cannot exist. And this is kind of almost the beginning of, you know, the dreaded M word, the metaverse that everyone seems to have hyped up and then killed. I don't think it's dead at all. I think it's absolutely still growing. Um, and I think it's, you know, again, very, very short sighted for people to kind of go, oh, it's over. Um, when we're actually really in the nascent stages. And actually, you know, Tim Sweeney, the, the founder of Epic, had a brilliant tweet a couple of months ago when he sort of said, you know, let's have a massive morning party for the 600 um, you know, million people, for example, taking part in the metaverse on and off. Um, and so, again, I think we just need to be paying attention to that and seeing how they're un actually unfolding. And I think with these new economies, these new ways of giving people creator tools, giving them autonomy and license to explore their own narratives, their own ideas, that essentially is giving us a new blueprint for what a brand could be and should be in the near future. I love that. And this, this leads me to like my last question, my truly my last one. Um, <laughs> I just, I could talk to you for hours, but basically, you know, a lot of, a lot of the, a lot of the work I'm doing right now, or a lot of the time I'm spending, I'm spending on spatial computing, thinking about the Apple vision pro, you know, the post smartphone future, right? There's the humane AI pin that comes out November 9th. There's all these things about what comes after the mobile phone. What are your thoughts around, you know, this post smartphone future? Any mm. thoughts around it? Yeah, I think, you know, what we're entering into is what people are calling ambient computing, which is this idea of, you know, essentially, you know, the metaverse or computing being able to be used in any context and almost not necessarily noticing that you have a device um, that is doing some work for you in the background, you know, whether it's wearing a pair of smart glasses, for example, and you simply just sort of saying, you know, find me an organic pizza restaurant in my, in my vicinity, or, um, you know, remind me to pick up the dry cleaning when I'm home, or give me a recipe based on the stuff that I've got in my fridge right now or looking into the mirror that might have a device built in saying you know my skin looks shit today what's the best makeup look for me to go for so that idea of you know ambient computing is computing coming into our everyday to such an extent that it's not noticeable but it's leveling up our quality of life or our quality of knowledge or our ability to connect dots in different ways and I think that's a really exciting thing to look out for whether it's smart glasses you know whether it's the apple vision pro whether it's some sort of um, you know cochlear implant god knows but I think that really paying attention to the fact that we're going to be moving away from screens into something that feels more all of you know all around us um i think is going to be something that probably will happen in the next five to ten years fantastic and for folks that are listening to this and want to you know read your content connect what's the best way for them to find you and connect with you and get your content Probably the best way um, is on Twitter. So it's just at Zoe Skamen on Twitter. And I've got links there to my Substack, which is incredibly infrequent at the moment. Um, but I'm trying to kind of put more stuff out. But it's just about finding time while trying to consume all of the stuff that's happening in the world. Thank you so much for being on Tech Magic. Thank you for having me. All right. So that was an amazing interview with Zoe, uh, who I just... I think she's fantastic. She's brilliant. I think the idea and the concept of the multiplayer brand is on point, you know, and yeah, just, I think brands need to evolve in their thinking, especially when it comes to community, when it comes to approaching gen alpha and gen Z and co-creating, collaborating. 
Um, Lee, any thoughts on on how you see the future of brands? Because I think brand as a term is evolving, whether it's multiplayer brand, the multiplayer brand concept or not, but just in general. Yeah, I mean, especially when it comes to gaming and multiplayer experiences, and I've and you and I've had many conversations about this. I I liken it back to Back to the Future, <laughs> um, one of my favorite all time movies. All three, the entire trilogy is great, but what makes that that series work? is there's so many brand placements that don't feel forced, Mm -hmm. right? Like what would Back to the Future 2 be without the Mattel hoverboard or the Mm -hmm. auto lacing Nikes um, or the Black & Decker pizza maker that was a dehydrated pizza hut like it was or the delorean or the delorean or any 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 of it right like there's so many little brands even in like where they go back to the wild west there's a frisbee brand for the frisbee (laughs) i just watched all three with my kids so i love it i love it but it is it is that that a tasteful brand placement Mm -hmm. that makes the reality of that movie series real and i think that that is often what is missing in video games mm-hmm. um i i can't tell you how many times i go into a video game and you see that knockoff coca-cola label on a can of like <laughs> coke uh, of, of soda and it's just fake a cola sitting in there yeah. and it's a power up and you need it and you're like what a missed opportunity and this feels very out of place mm-hmm. um you know and i'm gonna get people who disagree with me on that but <laughs> i don't see it as advertisement i see it as brand placement but i also see it as a highlight of those games becoming more recognizable as real life right Mm -hmm. like the blurring that line um you know so uh, i think there's a tasteful way of doing those type of things without it just being like a big billboard in front of your eyes well and i think just like the brand world the ad world they're evolving and changing like the old playbook out the door the days yeah the days of madison avenue like the Mad Men days long gone this is going to change a lot so Anyway, um, our producer, uh, Lily Snyder, is not feeling well today to do the Dispatch from the Fringe, so she won't be joining us for that. Um, She did send us a story that we're going to share very briefly about a Spanish agency that has, um, (laughs) this is what it says, a Spanish agency became so sick of models and influencers (laughs) that they created their own with AI, and she's raking in up to $11,000 a month. So this is an agency called Clueless, uh, based out of Spain, that created a, an AI influencer called Aitana, 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 sorry, Aitana. She's like a 25-year-old uh, AI model slash influencer. They're, you know, booking campaigns. Sometimes she's bringing in like $1,000 a month. Um, yeah, she's, it says, created with just enough imperfection to look real. She does look very beautiful, right? But yeah. uh, it's very interesting that that was their take, right? I thought she was real until I read the article and uh, I didn't like on the headline with the picture. I actually didn't put Mm -hmm. it together until I read it. I just like this headline doesn't make sense. Oh, that does make sense. (laughs) It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's, it's one of those areas where it's like, this does not have a hint Mm -hmm. of uncanny Valley. Even AI pictures of people still have that, like, I don't know, there's like a, 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 a tone to it that you can still tell mm-hmm. if you've looked at enough AI images to be like, yeah, that's a really good looking picture. It's, it's like, it's almost too polished. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's even like with Little Michaela, because I mean, I follow Little Michaela, Shudu, um, oh, what's the, the one from Brazil? I can't remember her name right now, but she's got millions and she's got more followers than Little Michaela. Um, mm-hmm. You can still tell 
right? There's a yeah. little bit there, but with Aitana, Aitana, I was like, hmm, this is really interesting. So yeah. we'll have to see. I mean, it's it's fringy. I mean, it's nothing new because little Michaela's been around for a long time, you know, et cetera. I but, just love yeah. the fact that they called out why they did it. <laughs> That's why it's fringy because yeah. someone need to say some of these influencers, their personalities are toxic and really they're just not worth the investment. Like yeah. someone's got to say it. And then they financially proved it. Like, nah, your attitude is not worth the investment here. So. <laughs> well, she's more of a micro influencer. Like she's not like, you know, Michaela, right. like who has millions or the, the, the one from, um, from Brazil that has more, even more. So, yeah. so yeah, we'll, we'll have to see. I mean, I think we'll continue to see this evolving. Um, and yeah, so, but she's raking in lots of dough. So. It's, it's not the first time we've seen it yeah. happen. It won't be the last. Mm-hmm. We've had Ronald McDonald and we had Avoid the Noid, <laughs> you know, like true? these All these the brand spokespeople who are <laughs> mascots. <laughs> They're called mascots in that case. But yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Anyway, um, yeah. So Lily, hope you get better. Um, this was our little attempt at Dispatch from the Fringe. Not as great as what she does, but it's all good. And anyway, I'm heading to Apple. Very excited. I won't ask you any questions when you get back. I will not talk about it. (laughs) I'm still going to ask. You're just going to have to tell me. And yeah, you know, we'll be back next week. Uh, Like I say every week, come for the tech, stay for the magic. And uh, Lee, thanks for joining me today. Every time. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you. So thanks to everyone for listening. Please subscribe, review, share the podcast. We are thrilled uh, for all the feedback we're getting. And yeah, we'll be back next week with some more amazing stories and some more tech magic. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.